Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I have to apologize on today's episode. I'm a bit nasally. I have a cold, so I sound a bit weird. So I apologize for that. But we are excited to welcome Jennifer Hart. Now, Jennifer grew up with a love of music. She was actually fighting over the toy microphone with her sister at the age of three. At the age of 10, she was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, OCD, and social anxiety, which was a very difficult time. It wasn't until high school and she wanted to be elected to student council that she was sort of forced to break out of her shell. She was going to give a speech in front of her entire graduating class of 800 people. Now, rather than do a spoken speech, she decided to create a song and she sang her speech. She got elected and from that moment on, she was ready to continue pushing herself and continue to chase a career in music. She was crowned as Miss Arizona in 2013, another step towards really creating this confident musician that we see today. She recently released her new song, Hearts Done Breakin', and is set to release her debut EP, 1992, later this month. So please enjoy our conversation with Jennifer Hart. I want to go back and talk about your dad a bit. And I know you have the song Half the Man, which is a big part of your journey. And we will talk about that later in the interview. But off the start, I just wanted to talk about the man that he was. And I saw you mention him singing uh, the dance by Garth Brooks to you at night when you were young. And that kind of resonated with me because with my kids, my son is turning eight soon. But for the first like five years of his life, every night, I would sing him This Is How We Roll by FGL. And uh, it's a song that would put him to sleep like every time. And it, it was such a it's such a special moment because you have this child in your arms who's awake and then you sing and all of a sudden you see them drift off to sleep. And it, it's a really special moment. And so for you, when you look back on those moments, what do you remember of it? And also, do you know what memories your dad holds within those moments that he had with you and in, in singing to you every night? Yeah, you know, I mean, he definitely remembers, I mean, at least from I've what I've talked to him about, um, we all, my sister, my dad and I, like, we just all remember, oh yeah, you always sing The Dance to Us by Garth Brooks. Um, or there's this other song called Taxi by, um, I think it's called, I think it's Harry Chafin, but it's spelled like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, exactly. okay. <laughs> but um, so my dad was a pilot. So he was gone for days at a time and then he was home for days at a time. So it was routine whenever he was home, that, like dad sing to us. And when he wasn't home, like I'm pretty sure we would call him out of the country sometimes on our landline and have him sing to us. So right. um, it, was, it was very special. I mean, more than just like the singing put us to sleep. It was just like the comfort of our dad being home and him being there. He's our protector. And, you know, so uh, my sister and I have incredible parents and we're such daddy's girls and he has two little girls and that was it. You know, he had no boys or anything. So, oh my gosh, it was just, I will never, I'll just never forget it. It's just, I'm like, dad, I know I'm about to turn 30, but you should still sing the dance to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And with your sister, talk about the musicality 
that you both had growing up. I read that uh, when you were young, you would fight over the toy microphone. Oh, yes. There is a hilarious home video of one time us literally screaming at each other, like fighting over the microphone. So my mom put my sister and I in a singing and dancing group when I was three years old. My sister was five and uh, it was called Sunshine Generation. And I think that's kind of just what started out us singing. I mean, I've been singing since I could talk and I always loved to follow in my sister's footsteps too. So anything she did, I wanted to do. Right. So um, I thought she was just the coolest big sister ever. And uh, we harmonized together growing up. We sang together. We're also very competitive. So okay. two sisters growing up together who are very competitive in general. We just like always competed with each other. And now we just laugh about it. I mean, we'll still like if we're playing board games or something, we are so competitive. But the good thing is if we're both on a, a team together, like no one can beat us. So right. We love it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my sister and I sang growing up together and I'm I'm the one who continued it as a career. And I still love to sing and harmonize with her whenever we're just home for the holidays. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a video as well. I can't remember. I think it was a couple of years ago you were singing at, I don't know if it was a local venue around home or in Nashville, but she had the chance to jump on stage with you and sing with you. So what do those moments mean now that you're grown and maybe you don't see each other as much to have those special moments? Yeah. So that video you probably saw was when I was giving up my Miss Arizona crown in like 2014, I brought her up on stage to come sing with me. And those moments are just amazing like I, I can't even explain it but that is my dream to be on big big stages one day and be able to bring up my sister just for old time's sake and just sing a 90s country song that we used to sing together like I don't even care what it is it doesn't have to be one of my songs I just it's very special just because my sister has a beautiful voice and she can sing too you know right and within the music in the family did I read that your grandfather and your great-grandfather on your mom's side were involved in country music somehow yeah so actually yes so on my mom's side my grandfather played guitar and sang and then my mom's grandfather so my great-grandfather sang and they were in a country western band i believe in pennsylvania and they kind of just like toured around radio stations in pennsylvania okay so yes so the the country music background kind of comes from there um my dad's uncle was a famous opera singer so there's oh, wow. um, yeah singing on that side of the family too and then my cousin on my dad's side um is a country singer here in nashville stephanie quayle so right lots, I of, saw that. lots of yeah music in the family <laughs> and so where did the country music sort of come from obviously for your parents it came from their parents and and yeah. their parents but you grew up in Arizona, which doesn't necessarily feel like a country music space. And so were your parents from somewhere else where they were influenced by country music and then moved to Arizona? Yeah, my dad is from Montana. So he oh, grew okay. up listening to country music. Yeah. And then my mom, uh, her dad was in the Air Force. So she's kind of from a little bit of everywhere, but she's from Texas and uh, California and just a bunch of places. So she's got the Texas in her. <laughs> right. And so growing up in Arizona, did you like, did you have a vision of Nashville or like the country music community? Like once you started thinking about a career in music, did you know what that community sort of looked like? 
Yeah, I've always, Nashville was always the destination I wanted to end up in. So I love Arizona and it's still my dream to like be able to live partially there, partially here. Um, but yes, Nashville was kind of just a matter of time to me. My mom and I finally visited it when I was going into my senior year in high school. And so that solidified it too. Like I knew I wanted to move to Nashville, but when I visited, I was like, okay, it's just a matter of time. So I finished high school, um, competed in Miss Arizona and Miss America. And then I finished college and then moved to Nashville. Right. And now on the musical side and your outgoingness, let's talk about 10 and you're diagnosed with Tourette's and well, you, you explained. So Tourette's was one of them. And then there was a few other things that happened within that, right? Yes. So Tourette's syndrome, OCD, social anxiety, they kind of like, once you're diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, they kind of tag along with it. I mean, not necessarily social anxiety, but in my case it was, um, So yeah, that was very hard, especially being 10 years old. I've always wanted to be a country singer and that kind of like crushed my dreams because I'm so fearful to be in public. And then I'm afraid to be in public because I don't want people to see me do weird facial tics or um, have all these like obsessions over whatever it may be. Um, So there's the social anxiety, like just was worse and worse and worse because of all that. And I was embarrassed by all of it. I did not want anyone to know about it. So it wasn't until I was competing at Miss Arizona that I actually opened up about it, uh, which was really hard for me at first, but I'm so glad I did. It's so freeing and I can't believe how many people have reached out to me relating to it. Um, Even if it's not Tourette's syndrome, just like social anxiety. And I mean, a lot of people go through that. And um, when I was young, I felt like I was the only one going through it. So I think, I hope that it's helpful for kids or anyone, high schoolers, whatever age they are. I I hope it's helpful knowing that at least one other person has gone through it. You know, of course there's more people, but I hope that they don't feel alone and embarrassed by it. Right. And so you talk about before that being an outgoing person who loved performing and loved singing. So at 10, when you're diagnosed with all of that, was it like literally a light switch where you went from this outgoing person to this closed off person with anxiety? It was a little gradual. So I was crazy rambunctious child within my family and my friend group. But once I started school, so once I started elementary school, kindergarten, um, I was a very like shy respectful student but like very very shy so I think maybe just being in that environment it was my first time in an environment with a lot of people I I guess I don't really know but like I was always very shy in school but then crazy at home and then when things started happening like I switched schools in fourth grade and like maybe that was a part of it too honestly I got braces around that same time too and was uh, allergic to like the metals in the braces which Oh, triggered wow. the Tourette syndrome too. Um, so I think it was just a mix of a bunch of stuff that like, it kind of was gradual, but it felt like it was all at once. Right. Yeah. And for your parents, like I, I read that you would cry yourself to sleep be because of this. And so your parents, what were their feelings as you were going through that and them trying to help you, but not necessarily being able to help you? Yeah, I almost say like a diagnosis of 
anything like Tourette syndrome is like a family diagnosis. Like once one person's diagnosed, the whole family has to go through it, you know? So I sometimes would say it was worse for them knowing like they're so out of control. They, they can't really do much to help me. And so it, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really hard for them too. My mom started a prayer group with her friends. She was researching absolutely everything. There wasn't that much information about Tourette's back then. So she was trying to find any and everything about it. Um, we even considered like brain surgery just because we weren't aware of what it was really. So we're like, we'll do, we'll do anything to help this. Um, and wow. it wasn't, so we found natural Chinese acupuncture that drastically changed my symptoms and changed my life. So, um, but my dad was, I say like my physical comfort, like there was something about his hug and his voice and his touch that just helped any anxiety attack, like calm down. Um, so when he was away, like I remember calling him in the middle of the night or whenever it was, if I was having some anxiety attack and he just, he knew what to do. I don't know what it was. And then my mom is just the support there all the time, driving to me all my doctor's appointments and calling all of her friends saying, please keep praying and researching everything she could research. And, um, so it, it's a family diagnosis for sure. And, uh, gosh, I, I just can't believe what they went through. Like you think I went through a lot. I'm, I'm thinking about them. Right. Yeah. And so after the Chinese acupuncture works to calm things down, talk about high school and your push towards breaking out of your shell and sort of the steps you went through and, and what it was like, because I think in life, it's easy enough to say, oh, just do something that scares you, just go do it. But it's not always that easy. So for you, what was it that helped sort of push you over the edge and say, look, I am going to face this head on and I'm going to become more open and more comfortable in front of people? Yeah, I think from all of that, like I still go into high school, I'm still pretty shy. Um, and, and the confidence is almost like, catching up to me slowly, you know, my symptoms might be a lot better, but my confidence is like getting there. So um still really shy, but I wanted to do cheerleading. Um, I, I was a gymnast and a dancer when I was younger. So I wanted to do cheer in high school. And that was so much fun for me. It was really good to stay active and also get my focus off of the anxiety or whatever it may be. Right. But it was also easier to ease my way into the public eye because I was in front of the whole school at a football game or at a competition, but I was with 20 of my other friends. So it, it was, it felt good. I think it was a really good step. And then uh, honestly, I was still so shy in high school that I wouldn't do uh, whatever speeches I had to do in front of my classes. So um, I had some incredible teachers who allowed me to do it to just them, like after class was over. Okay. Um, and they, they were so great to work with me as I like eased into it. Um, but then by the end of high school, my junior year going into senior year, I really wanted to be in student council because all my friends were in student council. So in order to do that, you have to give a speech in front of your entire graduating class, which was about 800 people for me. And oh, wow. I've never done that before. And it was way too scary for me, but I wanted it so badly. I'm like, I have to figure this out. I just have to do something. So instead of 
getting a speech in front of the class. To me, it was easier to sing. So I changed around lyrics to a popular song at the time and kind of saying as to why they should elect me into student council and did that. That's when everyone kind of found out that I sang. I was elected into student council. I got to be in student council my senior year. And after that, my confidence um, drastically was starting to get better. Right. Yeah. Is that the moment like without having done that and pushed yourself to do that? Do you think you would be where you are today without that one moment? I don't know. That that was the start of it, honestly. Um, I would like to think there maybe would have been another moment, but I really have no idea. Like that was the start of it. And then after that, I started singing the national anthem at baseball games, spring training games in Arizona, um, and just kind of started that way. Then my church, then a cover band. Um, so it, it gradually started to get bigger and bigger. Um, but honestly, without that, I don't know that I would have jumped into singing the national anthem at a baseball game. So it's no way of knowing. <laughs> right. And so then when it came to entering into Miss Arizona and competing for Miss Arizona, what was the thought behind that? Like, was that just another way to help push yourself and help make yourself better? Yes. So uh, Miss America, the organization is the scholarship organization and they're very service based. So I loved that it wasn't just like a competition, which I'm very competitive as well. And it's fun to have the glitz and glam on stage too. So it's like that fun aspect uh, mixed with being able to share my story and do a lot of community service and then get college paid for like it was awesome. Right. So I did get college paid for because of going through that. Um, but my, I never did a pageant in my life. And uh, my friend was Miss Arizona in 2011. And I just went to Miss America to support her and watch her compete. And after that, I, I contacted her. I'm like, hey, I think I might want to do this. And she's like, yeah. So she helped me get involved. And when I set my mind to something, like I really worked towards it. So I, for that season, I was like, that's all I was doing. I finished right. Um, my associate's degree in college took a semester off just to prepare for Miss Arizona and it, it paid off. <laughs> and so you become Miss Arizona in 2013. Now talk about that experience. Cause I was talking to Rachel Wamick the other day and she was, when she was at the university of North Alabama, she was Miss UNA. And we talked about that experience and how sort of on the outside of people looking in it can feel like a very judgmental thing because you're up on stage being judged and you're, you almost have to be perfect right up on stage. But then when she became Miss UNA, she found that she actually discovered herself. It helped her discover herself and be more confident within the person she was on the inside. And so for you, did it happen that way as well? Yeah. So I, I was 20 years old when I competed and won. So like, I've had a lot of years since then. So like looking back, I am shocked at how much it has helped me in my career. And I didn't realize that at the time even. So just even with getting out into the public eye more than just singing. So in my career, like I love talking to people. I love interviews. I love going to meet people despite the social anxiety. Like I still deal with that too, to this day. Right. Um, that helped me so much. I feel like I bypassed a lot of steps just 
just by having that experience. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, and yes, like the confidence, I, I think there's a mix, honestly, like something that was important to me was not to be a pageant girl or like very pageanty. I didn't want to be, um, I don't know, just have the perfect answers and, you know, have just be that way. I wanted to be very real, very genuine, very myself. Um, and I think that that did come off in my interviews. Like I would rather sit there and be like, I don't know the answer to that question than like try to come up with something and, you know, make, make it look like I'm smarter than I am. So, right. um, um, so that really did help my confidence in like being comfortable in who I am instead of trying to pretend to be someone else. Cause there were times that people would tell me like, Hey, you need to answer this way and say this kind of thing. And I'm like, and I would fall into it. And I'm like, but that's not me. So I, I really did learn a lot from it. Right. And so out of that, you went to college, university. And because of the program, like you say, school was paid for, which I imagine was a huge help. And now after graduation, or I mean, during your time at university, were you focused on a country music career? still was. So at that time I was singing in my church and I was in a cover band and I was writing some music. I think I was recording a little bit too in Arizona. Um, so yeah, I, I was still intending to move to Nashville, still wanted to do country music and, um, was working on it a little bit. And, um, but honestly, like I majored in communications at Grand Canyon University and communications also really helped me when I first moved to Nashville because I learned how to write proper emails and press releases for myself that kind of helped when I had no one on my team, like I was my own team. So I, I was very grateful to know how to do all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so it really did help. Um, but I wanted I was grateful that I got college paid for because I really wanted a college degree just for a personal achievement. I knew I didn't necessarily need one for the career I wanted to go into, but like I, it was just something I wanted to check off my bucket list. So had I not gotten college paid for, I don't know that I would have wanted to go in debt, you know, if I'm not necessarily going to use it. So yeah, you're, you're looking at going into a career that's likely going to put you into debt, right? So you don't necessarily yeah. want to go in that career already exactly. in debt. Exactly. And now you mentioned the cover band. Was that the Hillbilly Deluxe? It was, yes. <laughs> and so talk about that and what that was. Was that just playing local shows while you were going to university? Yeah, it was pretty much just a cover band. Honestly, similar to how people play on Broadway here, like cover band, uh, playing anywhere from one to four hour gigs. I remember we played at... Um, some bars in Arizona. We played at some festivals. I remember playing outside of uh, the Cardinals stadium, just like before a Cardinals game. Okay. So it was so much fun. It was my first time having like any sort of band and I, I just had fun and the band they're they're great. And they're still doing their thing in Arizona too. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And within your songwriting, take me through the progression of your songwriting. Cause I think I saw that you started writing at the age of 10. And at that point you thought you were going to be like a huge Disney star with the songs you were writing. Sure did. <laughs> I, oh, and it's so embarrassing. I will record this song one day, mark my word. I still remember the first song I wrote and it is so embarrassing, but it's hilarious. I thought it was going to be the biggest song 
on Disney Channel. I just, I just thought it was going to be so big. It wasn't. <laughs> so what was it? <laughs> alert. Alert. Um, it was called Distracted Me. And it was like talking about this guy distracting me. I'm like, I'm 10 years old. I don't know what a relationship looks like. So it, it was hilarious. But I did start at least the art and the process of like writing my own songs then. And um, so I loved it. And talk about moving into Nashville and the progression of your songwriting within that and becoming comfortable with sharing yourself and opening up to other songwriters. Yeah, that was a journey for me. So I I started co-writing a little bit before I moved to Nashville, but I really started co-writing right when I moved to Nashville and uh, kind of just jumped into it. When I first moved here, I honestly at first was like, well... I would like to write my own songs, but like, I just wanted to be an artist. So I'm like, I'll cut other people's songs. And someone was just like, that's awesome. But like, you should be writing as well, just to discover and find who you are as a person and as an artist. So I jumped into it and fell in love with it. And of course, like the first three songs I write in Nashville, I'm like, these are the best songs ever. (laughs) And people are like, continue to write and and you'll get better and better and better songs. I'm like, thank God I didn't record those first three songs. Right. Um, But I ended up just, I've always been, maybe it's because I've been shy or maybe it's because of all I've been through, but like, I've always been very scared to be vulnerable So I would write a lot of songs um, that I hypothetically would go through, or maybe I went through it, but I never told them. I'm just like, oh yeah, like maybe I would feel this way if I went through this when I really did go through it. So it took me maybe two years of writing songs before I felt comfortable enough to be able to like actually share my life and what I'm going through. Wow. So, um, and it can still be hard for me a little bit nowadays, but it's so much easier to be like, Hey, this is what I'm going through or say I've been through this before. Like it would be awesome to write a song about this. So, um, it, it took, it, it took a while for me. And as you've moved in to more of that personal writing, have you noticed like when you're playing live, the response to the songs that maybe are more personal to you? Yes. Um, I, I do notice with the audience, I have way more people coming up to me telling me that they relate to a song. I'm like, well, that must be because I do too. You know, it, it's real. And I, that's what I love about it. It's like, it connects with people so much more and it also feels genuine. So when I'm singing it, I think it comes across as more genuine just because I've been there, done that. So, um, it's honestly a little bit hard for me to not write personally now. Like once in a while, it's fun to write a song that's just like way out there. Um, and, and those are fun. But if I don't write based off of personal experiences, uh, majority of the time, it's hard for me not to. Right. And it feels like when you hit that mark of feeling more comfortable, like you really dove in because I think find me here was one of the first more personal songs for you. And that was a a tribute to your sister who had lost her twins. And so talk about that moment when you were able to open up and that like, that's a pretty hard subject I imagine to go into a room with. And so what was that feeling like when you were able to open up and, and write a song about that? Yeah, I felt for a a while, I felt like I needed to write about it just for me for therapeutic reasons. Right. And it was really hard 
to know who to bring that idea into. And, and also like when you're writing a song, you're hoping that it's going to be a major song on the radio. And I knew this song. I'm like, I just want to write this for me. So also to find the right person to not care that you're probably not going to make millions of dollars on this song one day. And, you right. know, so like, the, it was really hard to like find the right person, find the right time. Um, uh, so when I finally did write it though, I was not planning on releasing it. I wasn't even planning on showing my sister and it just turned out so beautifully. And I'm like, I gave it to my sister as a mother's day gift after she lost her twins. And oh, then wow. um, we ended up releasing it and I could not believe how many people related to it. Unfortunately, I wish no one related to a miscarriage, but a lot of people do. So, and then in the same week I wrote half the man and uh, I guess it was a very vulnerable week. <laughs> Yeah, talk about that song. So that's the song you wrote about your dad. And that's the song that really blew up, went viral. It sort of was the trigger to the last two or so years. And so talk about writing that song and and sort of the moment it hit. Were you ready for sort of that sudden kickoff to things? Or were you expecting more of a sort of slow and steady climb? Gosh, I I, I mean, I was not expecting that at all. Um, I, oh gosh, it was a whirlwind. I'm like thinking back on it. I'm like, holy crap. Um, so I knew I loved that song enough to record and release it. I just, I had no idea that people would react the way they did to it. But, um, writing that song, I was in a room with a couple of my friends and co-writers and I always wanted to write a song about my dad just because of the relationship that we have. And I've actually written a couple before that, that just, didn't hit the way I wanted them to. So I wanted to keep doing it until I got one that I really loved. So um, I told them I want to write a song about my dad. And I've also been wanting to write a song about like a future marriage, future spouse, because um, I've always looked up to my parents' marriage too. So we didn't even intentionally like combine the two. We just started writing and my co-writer Josh Mahaney had these awesome lines about like, fixing a car and fixing a fence and fixing a broken heart. And I'm like, yes, let's go with that. So we wrote the first verse and we wrote the first verse without knowing where the course was going to go, which doesn't happen that often. You usually start with like a hook idea. Oh, okay. Um, and then we started writing the whole chorus and we did not know how to finish it. And so he, same, same co-writer, Josh threw out the idea of like, what if it's like, lucky as a girl's ever going to get to love a man that's half the man that my daddy is. I'm like, genius. Absolutely. Yes. So, and then we finished the song. Like I was so grateful to have him in the room that day. Cause he, he was a new dad himself to, to a boy, not to a daughter, but still oh, a new okay. dad fixing everything. And so um, I think him being a dad really helped, helped it too. And was there a moment after you released that song that was like the aha moment for you where it started to spread? Well, I, when I released that song, I honestly didn't even think of it as like a father daughter dance type of song for weddings. I just was like, this is a song about my dad. Hope people can relate with their dads. And then people started reposting videos with their dads and with their husbands and daughters and, and that kind of thing. And, I, I was shocked. I'm like, I didn't even ask anyone to repost videos. This is just organically happening and blowing up. And I didn't even write like the name of the song when I posted the TikTok. I did everything wrong. So the fact that it just blew up, I'm like, 
it's a God thing. This was supposed to happen. And how awesome that it's a tribute to my dad, who has been so supportive of me my entire life. Man, it was crazy. And now talking about TikTok, that reminded me of something. Now, I think one of your most viewed videos on TikTok is of your grandmother, who is 104 years old. The original post, I think I looked yesterday or the day before, has 4.3 million plays. And then you reposted it a while later, and that has close to 2 million plays. And so talk about her, 104, and it looks like she's still going strong. Just talk about oh her God. and the person she is. I mean, you would think she like just turned 80 years old. She's she's a young 104, that's for sure. But and everybody's like, what's her secret? She will tell you three things. Plenty of sleep. She says eight to nine hours every single night. Um, a positive attitude, which she has the most positive outlook on life. And she's like, just don't stress about what you're eating. Eat whatever you want. <laughs> so um, yeah, she's a young 104. She still lives on her own. She is my biggest fan. Her full-time job is watching videos of me lis listening to my unreleased songs. She she has her favorites. Honestly, Hearts Done Break-In, that is the newest release, is one of her absolute favorites. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, how does that approval process go with your music and your family? Do you send like all of your demos to your family to get their thoughts on it before you think about releasing? I do send a lot to them, um, but I, I mean, I, I usually send them the ones that I like the most and then it's hilarious. Like I'll send them some bad ones that I don't necessarily like just to get the reaction and to see if they're telling me the truth, if they really like it or not. Cause I'm right. like, I know I won't like this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, their uh, opinion matters a lot to me. I'm such a family girl. So um, I do send them most of my songs. And then when it comes to narrowing down to which ones we're going to record, like, of course, my team and I get together. But um, I, I do a little narrowing down with my family as well, because their their opinion just matters to me. Right. And now we have the new EP coming 1992. And so talk about the creation of this because you wrote with some pretty well-known writers Jordan Mitten, Paul D. Giovanni, Alex Klein, Derek Sutherland so talk about how this came together was it sort of a pandemic project or after the pandemic or how did this all come together yeah I mean all of those rights happened uh like after the pandemic or like still a little bit in it. So um, 18, my first single off the EP, I wrote with Paul DiGiovanni and Derek Sutherland. So Paul and I were in person, but we Zoomed in Derek. Um, so that was like kind of half written over Zoom. And then um, the other one, Hearts Done Break-In with Jordan Minton, Daniel Ross and Casey Brown. Um, we wrote that in person, but it took, we wrote the chorus one day. We actually wrote like maybe a verse and a chorus of another song. And we're like, you know what? We're just not feeling it. We don't feel like this is the number one hit. So we completely shifted gears, wrote the chorus of Hearts Done Break In and came back a few days later and finished the verses. So that was a oh, two day okay. right? Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess a little bit of a mix of just coming back from COVID or a little stuck in the pandemic still. Um, but man, it's been fun. It, it really has been. I'm so blessed to be able to write with these these guys. They're awesome. And talk about how it came together with just sort of this storyline of your life. 
that it's kind of come together in this one EP. Yeah, uh, this EP is very me, very genuine. It's very uh, nostalgic, but also a mix of like modern day country pop and 90s country. Um, So, I mean, you've got like the song 18, which is about my life. And it's also a love song about like, if I would have met my person sooner, here are some specific things that I've gone through that like memories that we would have shared and experienced together. So that's 18. It's, it, it is nostalgic, but it's also like current day, what I, what I think and about my life a little bit. And then 1992 is basically like, you're still, man, you're in your twenties or thirties and you still feel like you're stuck in the nineties because you don't know what you're doing. You thought you would have everything figured out by now, but you're just as lost as you were in 92. Right. Um, And then we got a WWJD, which like the WWJD bracelets from the nineties. That one was a lot of fun to write. Uh, Half the man of course is nostalgic with, growing up explaining your childhood and your relationship with your dad from little girl to now. So um, there's a lot in it that I'm really excited for everybody to hear. I think it'll take them through a nostalgic journey. Right. And WWJD, you have infused your faith within this album. So how important was that for you to do that? Um, I, again, just because it's me, I I'm just very openly me. So I'm, I'm going to talk about my faith in my songs just because that's how I live my life. And it's just how I write my songs and it's how I go about my days. So, um, the thing I love about what would Jesus do is that in the first verse, I don't know if you've listened to that one yet, but in the first verse, Yes. It's talking about like, I go to church. I could tell you all the names of the disciples. I I read the books, you know, like um, I sing the songs, which all of that is true. Like I do all that, but then I'm still a human. I think a lot of the times maybe people hold Christians to a higher standard, which I do think you should do. I think my goal is to look more like Jesus. So we should be held to a higher standard in that way, but we're still human. So I mess up just as much as anyone else messes up, maybe even more. So um, that song is like about getting cheated on and just being conflicted of like, I really want to be a better person in this way. And I want to take the higher road and I just want to like forgive and forget and move on and let it go. But I still struggle with like my human emotions and I'm angry and I'm so mad and I want to be vengeful so you want to get back at this person and so it's kind of just like what would Jesus do because you don't want to know what I would do so I love that song because it's very honest and like it brings my faith into it but it also brings the human aspect into it of like I struggle with these things I I want to kill somebody right now (laughs) (laughs) and within your career talk about the growth and sort of the opportunities to push yourself forward because I saw in November of 2017, I believe it was, you played at uh, Meredith's Bread Basket. And that show was the first time, I believe, that you ever played the guitar on stage. And so talk about these moments throughout your career that push you forward. And looking back at maybe that 10-year-old self that would be too afraid to do it. And now the point you are now and, and being comfortable with doing that and putting yourself out there. 
Yeah, I remember the first writer's round I played was at Belcourt Taps, which I don't think is even there anymore, which makes me really sad. Um, but that was really exciting being like, wow, I'm playing my first writer's round in Nashville. And I only had a few songs that I had written at that point. Um, so seeing how far I've come from, come since then, and then playing guitar in public for my first time too was so scary for me way more scary than singing to me I mean I'm still that way like I would much prefer someone playing guitar for me or having a band or something but once in a while I'll pull out my guitar and I'll play a song or two um that's something that still scares me to this day but uh as far as singing goes it, it really is cool to think back on like how far I've come from my first writer's round to now playing the listening room regularly, which I remember moving here and I'm like, Oh, I really want to play this venue. And hopefully I'll get there with like Grand Ole Opry and arenas one day. That's awesome. And another thing I think you started doing this year was tumbling again. Yes. Is that, are you continuing to do that? So I haven't done it in a while. I need to find a tumbling coach in Nashville, but um, my tumbling coach from back home, Anthony Damiani, um, he is amazing. And I've been tumbling with him since I was like 14 or 15. I oh, think. Wow. So, so I have so much trust in him that it's hard for me to like trust anyone else. But um, I'm going back home in a couple of months and I'm definitely going to be tumbling again. It makes me so nervous. It, my body is so sore the next day. Like I can't believe I used to just do it all the time and my muscles were so used to it. And now like my muscle memory remembers it, but my physical muscles don't. <laughs> That's awesome. And so as you approach your 30th birthday and the release of 1992, and you look back on your three-year-old self who is fighting with your sister over the microphone, what do you, what do you think about this journey? What are the feelings and emotions that bubble up to the surface? It, it's so weird because I feel like I've been waiting since 1992 for this to happen. But at the same time, I can't believe it's already here. So it feels like it is the birth of my career and the birth of like my first um, debut EP, especially with a record label. So it's almost like, even though we're in 2022, this is almost like the 1992 of my career. And I'm so excited to see like the next 30 years where this is headed. I'm I'm just like, I just feel like such a blessed girl to have the team that I do. That's awesome. And you mentioned the record label. I wanted to talk about that because you signed in June of 2020 and you signed on Zoom. And I believe you just sort of pressed a button on the phone. It was like a digital contract. And so how weird was that almost to not be in an office and be able to sign the piece of paper with the team around you but be on zoom and kind of be isolated like that yeah very unconventional I mean hey I was just excited as I would have been I think in person signing a piece of paper like it so that that's what I'm grateful for is like I don't think it took away from the experience I think it was just funny and it just happened that way and like how cool that I signed a record deal in the, in the middle of like all of that, that was going on. So, um, but then we eventually got together in person and that was amazing too. Um, I was glad we got to do that, but I got to be home with my family in Arizona. I got to sign a deal while I was in my childhood home. So that there was something very special about that. Um, and I heard these days people sign online anyway, and they just fake the paper thing nowadays. So I'm right. like, okay. <laughs> 
and your dad was there. He jumped into the shot when you signed. What were his feelings at that moment to see where you've come? Oh gosh, you you his smile like just does not leave his face. He I'm such a proud daughter of my dad. I think he had the coolest job as a United Airlines pilot and like it's reciprocated like he's such a proud dad and um I can see it all over his face and I think people can see it too on social media or in person or you know wherever so um it's i think it's very special it's even though i thought it wasn't possible that we could bond more like we have over over this song and everything that's happened thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to jennifer for stopping by and sharing her story be sure to listen to her newest single Heart's Done Breaking, and check out her new EP 1992 when it's released on September 30th. Please also be sure to check us out on social media. We're available on all platforms, so just head over, search Country Music Made Me, and give us a follow. You can also visit us at countrymusicmademe.com to sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review, a rating. It would be very much appreciated. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.